Welcome back. This is episode three of Defining Truth. We got an interesting lineup for you today. That's uh, we're going to make it through here in about twenty-five or so minutes. Brandon, you want to go over the outline real quick, and then we'll jump in. Yeah. So as usual, we're going to be uh, sticking to three topics. So uh, first off, we're going to be talking about the British influencer Ollie London. He uh, has announced his new memoir titled "Detransition." We'll get into the details of that here in a moment. Also going to be talking about Atlantic Cop City Anarchy that uh, saw at least 35 agitators detained. And uh, <clears throat> looks like they're part of an international group that's going around causing havoc. And uh, then we're going to finish it up with the teachers union that sued the mom uh, to prevent her from uh, getting some documents related to critical race theory. Unbelievable. Awesome. So we're actually we're, so before we kick it off, I wanted to give a, a quick section on a biblical perspective here. Um, and since, as Brandon mentioned, we're going to open up, we're going to talk about Ollie London and uh, some of the trans stuff that's going on. Uh, he was very influential in the trans movement, and I want to clarify for anyone listening something very important because that is just that we disagree with someone doesn't mean that you hate them. I feel like that needs to be said a lot today. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In our upcoming book, book Defining Truth, we have a chapter dedicated to this topic titled Love. But in short, you cannot actually love someone if you're not being honest with them. There is no love without truth. Okay, If you don't believe that, think about a uh, drug addict. Right? If your sibling was a drug addict and you saw them strung out on dope, fentanyl, heroin, whatever, and you knew it was killing them, but they really felt like they wanted to live that way. What, what would be more loving? To, to try to reach them with the truth about the consequences of their lifestyle or to encourage their behavior until they died? All right, now in the book, I went into a story about a, a personal circumstance, a, a call that I responded to when I was a, a, a cop where someone had died of a drug overdose and their family showed up. And I'm going to save that story for another time. But, it, it that, I mean, obviously that question's rhetorical. It's not very loving to let someone continue in something that is harmful to them or, in, in I guess, more on the political side, if it's harmful to the greater um, society in general. All right? So, the you know, in the same way, the trans movement, deceives people because of political reasons. I mean, that's really the motivation. And it leaves countless individuals in, in despair to suffer the remainder of their lives with, you know, all this medication they have to take and treatments and mental health issues, all because no one wants to confront the issue in love with the truth about the consequences of this lifestyle, consequences upon the individual, their families, their communities, and the country at broad. Uh, Let's take a look at the Christian Judaic background on that perspective, okay? The Bible says, and, and I'm taking this from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, that Jesus came to heal the sick, not the well. Now, uh, to give it to you straight, I'm going to read it. As Jesus passed on from there, this is Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him, Matthew, that is. And then later, as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, it says that many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him as they're, you know, presumably having dinner, eating with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day who were just disconnected from the reality of what Jesus was saying, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then in verse 12, it says, but when he heard it, he being Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so there's two points here. One, that the Christians are to be out practically applying what they preach, right? Jesus was not afraid to be in the world, just that he was not of the world. And he was there with a purpose, and I guess that begs the, the, the question, right? What did he mean by he, he, he called them, uh, for he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What did he call them to do? You find that in Luke chapter 532, covering the same story. And Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And therefore, there's a change there, right? So there's love with the caveat in that you love someone by showing them the truth. Of course, we love people, but we also desire a change in behavior so that their lifestyle can change. Uh, you can apply this to, um, you know, uh, I guess in a in a non biblical sense, you can apply it to a, a large variety of issues, including political ones that we don't desire things to go through just because people feel like they want them or they want to do something selfishly. We have to look writ broad at the entire country, at the society, and make well-informed and wise decisions. Are these things good for our country? Are they good for our family? And ultimately, when we confront people, if, if you ever confront someone with a behavior uh, that you know, is harmful for them or bad for them, you should do it in love, as Jesus you know, obviously spent his time with um, people that society would say, don't hang out with those people. But he didn't just do it to kick it for no reason. He did it with a purpose, and that was to call them to repentance. And repentance is just a fancy word, uh, way of saying to turn from the direction you're going. In other words, change. So you know, if you're hanging out with someone with the purpose of changing them, it's to be an influencer, not influenced. And that is the proper Christian Judaic perspective on dealing with this issue. Now, that being said, and it's clear that we we love people and we're not hating anyone just because we disagree with them. Okay, now let's get into this story here of Ollie London. So, Brandon, you want to read uh, the first line there, and then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in here in a minute. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Ollie London is a British influencer that uh, has announced – well. He's releasing a memoir titled Detransition, and if you don't know who Ollie London is, he's a, he became well-known after undergoing nearly three dozen surgeries. It would mm. cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars, he said, and uh, he is a, a, a white male, born a white male, and he was uh, trying to resemble a K-pop idol and member of the Korean boy band BTS, uh, Jimin, I think his name is, and uh, so since then, he's made headlines over... Other controversies, wow. including marrying and divorcing a cardboard cutout of this said Korean pop star figure. And uh, he now felt commitment right there. Yeah. Now, uh, before his detransition, he was identifying as a Korean woman and okay. uh, defended the idea of transracialism. However, last November, he has since revealed that he is undergoing 
detransitioning and will be going back to being a man, citing his uh, Christian faith as a primary reason. Wow. So we've kind of followed this guy for a while because he kept making headlines for some outrageous behavior. I mean, you mentioned he married a, a piece of cardboard, which is outrageous. Um, clear indications of mental health. And we see this a lot in the trans movement, which is why I said in the beginning that it's pretty obvious that they're being used as pawns of a political agenda, right? The left wants to fundamentally change the United States, and they understand that one of the ways uh, to do that is to target the very infrastructure or foundations of this nation, which happen to have Christian Judaic principles, including core concepts around sex and gender and family. And so to attack those is to uh, further your left-wing political agenda, which is why uh, Christians stand against this, because ultimately, as we've been saying, it's really bad for people and society, and it's also bad for these singular identity groups to be hijacked by the left and, and, and used as pawns for their greater political agenda. But we have been following Ali, and as you mentioned, he went from being transsexual to transracial and that he wanted to be a Korean woman. And essentially, you know, and we're not going to read every story, but I've been reading this week on his, his own comments and his story. And basically he came to the realization that many others out there have come to, although mainstream media tries to keep them quiet in that there's these horrible, horrifying ramifications of this lifestyle. When you have all these surgeries, what it does to your body, the dysfunction in your reproductive organs and simple things like being able to use the restroom are horrifying and they have lifelong consequences. And he, through a series of different events, came to the conclusion that he didn't want to do this. And then all of a sudden, of course, you know, all the support from the left just vanishes. In fact, in his words, they have launched a campaign of hatred against him. They've threatened to kill him. They're telling him to be quiet and... And he noted, which I thought was interesting in one of the articles I read online, that it was these these random conservative Christians that supported him the most. And it was such a powerful statement. I mean, that is the experience, right? I mean, gosh, if you're ever hurting or in need, I mean, I'm certainly not going to call a member of Antifa, right? Uh, but you're probably going to find some love and support, uh, and you should, in the Christian community. Anyways... They did. He had questions and concerns about the way he was living and what he was doing, and he was welcomed with open arms, and now he's decided to detransition back to being a man. Um, you know, we just hope that it goes well for this guy and that his story resonates. Uh, it's a powerful story, and it should go out amongst many others. Uh, and, of course, I'm only talking about his detransitioning. I don't know anything about him personally or the rest of his lifestyle, but, you know, to the point, he's not the only one. Um, there's been a lot of stories lately, actually, um, about folks doing this. So, well, and I think it's important <clears throat> too that this this transgender his his transition to being a woman and now coming back to a man has impacted him so much that he actually came to the United States and testified in front of the state of Washington Senate to oppose a bill that would provide accommodations for runaway minors seeking gender affirming care without having to inform their parents, which is something that the state that we live in, California, uh, has passed and is welcoming minors from out of state to come uh, and find California sort of a, as a safe haven, so to speak. 
Unbelievable. And, and you know, we, we could probably do a whole other episode on that bill that you're talking about. But uh, in a nutshell, for those who aren't aware, the state of California has essentially passed a law that says that if parents don't agree with their underage children wanting to do something like remove their genitals or go through transition therapy or whatever it is they call it, that the state, the government, can seize and take custody of your children permanently. Um, this law passed, by the way, and they had their first case already. The nine-year-old uh, boy who comes from a divorced home, the mother uh, keeps telling the little boy, you know, you want to be a girl, you want to be a girl. The father says, no, he's not saying that. They're, they're from Texas because this bill covers the entire country, apparently, if you can just make it across state lines. So the mother takes the kid to California, and the state of California has now taken custody of them, and it looks like the father's going to lose. This is absolute insanity. By the way, as we always say, this is why you should care about politics, especially the church and uh, Christians, because if you don't care about politics, you've surrendered to those who do, and I should add, the consequences of their decision. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot more than this is about a lot more than politics. You know, we have to we have to take our children back. As a recent father with a five month old son, it was amazing to me going through the paperwork after he was born that we have access to his medical records. My wife and I have access to his medical records in the state of California up until he's twelve years old, twelve, and then right. he has to give us permission to view his medical records. I mean, is a twelve year old going to schedule their own doctor's appointments? No. California's got to change. Uh, it's just the, one of many ridiculous things, but that's just something that uh, <sighs> came to my mind that was just mind-boggling. Well, and, and it takes about half a second to research what kind of ideology ideology propagates that behavior, and it's it's all Marxism. It's It's what we see in communist countries. There's a clear connection between what the left is doing in, in the United States and how left-wing uh, – tyrannical governments have sought to seize the children and remove or detach them from the influence of the parents for the purpose of advancing their political tyranny. So this is nothing new and it's pretty darn obvious. Anyways, that's a, that's another show for another time. Um, yeah, let's move into uh, speaking of anarchy and chaos. So yeah. uh, in Atlanta, there's a facility, a training facility commonly referred to as cop city that uh, recently saw as many as 35 agitators detained uh, that were part of an international group uh, causing havoc. So it says at least 35 people have been detained after demonstrators allegedly set fire to the construction site of an Atlantic, Atlanta public safety training facility that anti-police and environment activists dubbed, quote, Cop City. Authorities noted how the group changed into black clothing and allegedly began to throw commercial-grade fireworks Molotov cocktails, large rocks, and bricks at police officers. The Atlanta chief of police, Darren Sheerbaum, said, and I quote, this wasn't about public safety or the training center. This was about anarchy. This was about an attempt to destabilize. And we are addressing that quickly, Sheerbaum told reporters. Actions such as this will not be tolerated. If you attack law enforcement officers, you damage equipment, you are breaking the law. This was a very violent attack that occurred this evening, end quote. So let's talk about this, but Josiah, you also have experience uh, 
with this sort of behavior. So talk about your experience with the La Mesa riots and yeah. the coordination that took place there with Antifa. Well, so this is personal to me for those listening who may not know. I mean, I spent many years in public service and about 10 in law enforcement specifically. I was a police officer, a deputy sheriff, and a special agent uh, with a um, agency in the federal government. And I have a personal encounter with Antifa during the La Mesa riots in uh, San Diego County. We responded to deal with their shenanigans down there. Uh, extremely violent, coordinated chaos. That's how I would describe it. Um, so from personal you know, eyewitness testimony, we show up, have to cut through a crowd of over a thousand windows busted out on our cars as they're throwing bricks and rocks. Um, we responded to help the city of La Mesa because they were completely inundated and overwhelmed. They don't have uh, that many officers to handle thousands of, you know, communist rioters like this. And we responded in a hurry after we were told they were trying to set the police, uh, the, the Mesa Police Department headquarters, which is also a joint city building, on fire from the outside. And there was people stuck inside as it was surrounded. They had breached one of the perimeter walls, made it into the motor pool. And so we literally were responding to make sure that these city employees were not burned alive. Uh, in the subsequent 24-hour period, I was there from the afternoon all through the night into the next day. We noticed a couple of things uh, very similar to this event in Atlanta. And, and first off, there was a clear coordinated effort happening. This was paramilitary style. We had individuals on the ground that were coordinating movement. And then you had, I guess I'd call them commanders. These were guys up on rooftops with certain hats on and, you know, um, government-esque radios that they were using to communicate. And they were, you know, issuing troop movements. You could see them coordinate, telling one group to move from here to there. Um, I was just around the corner when they blew up a fire truck and a couple other vehicles. I mean, these explosions, it reminded me of being in Baghdad when I was deployed there in the Army. Um, they had also pre-staged, uh, and this is in La Mesa in San Diego, they had pre-staged cans of railroad-sized rocks. One of them hit me in the leg at one point, and I kept it. I have it around here somewhere. I was going to say, I know it's around here somewhere. Um, I used it on the campaign trail when I ran for Congress to talk about this, but uh, they also had bricks and they also had incendiary devices that they used to burn down grocery stores and banks, uh, Chase Bank. I was standing right outside of when they burned it to the ground. This is just them destroying communities in pure anarchy, hurting no one but the people who live there. It was absolute insanity. Now, on uh, the big picture here, I watched leftists burn our country to the ground for multiple years in a row, right? And the left was largely silent about this. The hypocrisy is astounding. You know, CNN famously, to their shame, said or downplayed it by saying that these riots were, quote unquote, mostly peaceful. You're talking hundreds of people murdered, millions of dollars of damage. And they tried to justify it because apparently if you're on the left, you can do whatever you want and it's totally okay, right? But if you happen to stroll up to the Capitol and protest something, then <laughs> no, 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 you're, no. you're done. You're an insurrectionist. Uh, even though there was like a million people in D.C. on, on that day. I mean, just the, And I'm not justifying either or. I'm just saying the hypocrisy is, is ridiculous, right? Um. The end of that story in San Diego was about 400 of my partners were injured. 
in, in those uh, riots. Absolute chaos. But yeah, so so I've dealt with Antifa before uh, from a law enforcement perspective. I've, in, I've conducted investigations that involved some of their folks. Um, they're just terrorists. That's the bottom line. They're a bunch of nut jobs uh, promoting, you know, left-wing ideology. And what's what's really hypocritical or what's insane about this is that, by and large, the Democrats support this defund police movement, right? We have clip after clip after clip on public record of Democrats standing there saying we should defund police departments, which is probably the dumbest thing you could ever say, right? This is one of the institutions, the rule of law in our country, that makes us a first-world country. This is why we're not... Um, you know, living in the purge or Gotham City. So they're just regurgitating a political talking point without knowing really what they're saying. But it leads to real-life consequences, which is what we've seen and we continue to see here. There's still elected officials in D.C. who call for defunding police departments. It's uh, idiotic. Those people should never be leading anything, much less representing American citizens. But here you have this group, and this is... This is sort of an escalation from what we've seen because apparently there were a lot of um, foreign nationals in this group. There was folks from Canada and and I forget the other countries they mentioned. Um, I just saw actually as literally as we're talking about this right now, a, a post just came across my phone. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center lawyer arrested and charged with domestic terrorism amid Atlantic, uh, Atlanta Cop City attack. Jeez, that's nothing new. There's there's elected officials currently in D.C. who have participated in these these riots and these things, misguided, misinformed. Their their movements, their their entire ideology is premised on lies, which the left has propagated to advance their political agenda. Uh, really sad what's happened here. Uh, what uh, we should mention to the irony. CNN briefly covered this. You know, it's by and large been overlooked by the mainstream media, but CNN had a a host online who really downplayed this whole incident as if it's not a big deal to burn down a police training center. And then the guy that they had, ho- the host, I forget his name. You can, you can look it up, look up a host of CNN who downplayed riots in Atlanta. He um, turns out to be a huge Antifa supporter. <laughs> He's like raising money for this guy who tried to murder a state trooper and just vile people. It's like someone over there, like doesn't check who we have coming on the show. They have a history of, of problems with that though. Anyways, let's go on to segment three. All right, so this is a, a teacher's union that decided it's going to sue a mom. Uh, her name is Nicole Solis to prevent uh, the school district from releasing critical race teaching records. So Nicole Solis is a senior fellow at uh, Independent Women's Forum Education Freedom Center. I believe that she got that post now. Uh, this has yeah, been going on for a few years. She's there now. Yeah, she's there she now. wasn't there when this happened. Uh, at the time, she was a stay-at-home mom of two children from Rhode Island, and the teachers' union sued her uh, for submitting public records requests about critical race theory after her school district told her to submit the request and then publicly threatened to sue her for what they're saying is uh, by submitting too many. So mm. now Nicole advocates for school choice and academic transparency to fight back uh, against oppressive teachers union. So previously she was threatened with a lawsuit by the South Kingston school committee for seeking too many records regarding critical race and gender teaching. And, uh, now the Rhode Island chapter of the national education association, that sounds spooky mm. has actually filed suit claiming many of the records are quote private. Okay. 
Oof. All right. I know you so got a lot to say about this. I got a lot to say about this because what we did is we pulled the court document, the complaint, uh, from this was case number, in case you want to look it up yourself, PC-2021-05116, filed in Providence, Bristol County Superior Court in Rhode Island. This was submitted back in August of 2021 at 2.59 p.m., in case you're wondering. And this is State of Rhode Island, Providence, uh, National Education Association of Rhode Island and National Education Association South Kingston versus South Kingston School Committee by and through. And then it lists a bunch of people that they're suing, including Nicole Solis. All right. So let me before we get into this. Now, I'm looking at this from the perspective of I've worked local and a lot of federal investigations. I've written many, many warrants. And I've testified in court many times. So I'm looking at this court document, and I want to bring to light some points that, from my perspective, I recognize. And I think maybe the general public, if you're not familiar with complaints or court documents, you may not understand, you know, kind of what's going on here. So I'd like to just put this all in layman's terms for you. Okay, so, so for, for background, let's start with this. The, we're gonna, you're you're going to see, if you, if you look up anything online about this story, you'll see something called APRA. And uh, Rhode Island APRA. And that's just an acronym, A-P-R-A. It stands for the Access to Public Records Act, passed in 1979. We have something similar in California. It's called the PRA, the Public Records Act. And at the federal level, it's called FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. And there's others like it where public information must be released unless protected by law. Okay, so and this is the premise now. The NEA, which is... The National Education Association, this is the teachers' unions, okay? They are, with the backing of another group that I, I'll get into in a minute, they're suing Nicole Solis for asking for public records. But now, this is where their court document begins, but that's not actually where it started. Because if you listen to her story, she herself, uh, there's this, uh, you know, uh, is a witness to the fact that there's this whole back and forth verbally between them in person where she just went to them and asked, what what are you teaching our kids? She had questions about it, and they refused repeatedly. And it was the school itself that told her, if you want it, you know, file the paperwork for us. And then she did, and now they're whining and they're crying about it. And I can't believe you filed paperwork. And I'll get into uh, some big guns that they have backing them up. Do we have a clip to play of her first? Yeah, so we have a clip. Uh, she was on Fox Business, I believe, and uh, they yeah. do a little synopsis on this. So let's get this rolling here. Women's Forum. Senior fellow joins us now. This is, uh, Nicole, great to see you first and foremost. Thank you for being here. This is very important to you and close to your heart because of your experiences dealing with and being attacked by the, uh, by the NEA We're talk and the about this public too. school system in Rhode Island. The parental bill of rights. Yes, that's right. I'm a stay-at-home mm. mom who was sued by the teachers union because I wanted to know what my kindergartner would learn in school. I just wanted to see the curriculum. I had questions about whether they were teaching gender theory and CRT, and they told me to submit public records requests as the only way to get information about what my daughter would learn. And then my school district publicly threatened to sue me. And then finally, the NEA, the largest teachers union in the country, did sue me 
I've been in litigation with them for almost two years. Luckily, I have amazing attorneys at the Goldwater Institute representing me because this is the kind of costly litigation that can make you lose your house to, to right. pay for all these legal fees. That so goes on and on. really could, a um, way for a school district and a teacher can watch to the rest of that at some harass point. me. So bottom line is she's, she's getting sued. And she's she's not alone in you know, this movement and this, this movement belongs to the left make no mistake. This is a partisan issue in that we're seeing this. This is connected way more than people think, right? There's hearings right now. Jim Jordan is holding these weaponization of government hearings. This is the kind of stuff that's all connected. You have not only do big giant lobbying industries and teachers unions and those who support them go after parents for speaking out, but apparently so does the FBI, in labeling, labeling them domestic terrorists, as we've seen. And it's all over what they really want to keep a secret. They want to keep hidden what they're doing with your kids, right? And what they're doing is over-sexualization, sex education with children, amongst other things. And they don't want the parents to know what they're teaching them. Now, what we've seen uh, through discovery and investigations is pornographic material for underage children, transgender indoctrination, including taxpayer dollars paying for strip shows. This is men in lingerie stripping down in front of kindergartners in, in many cases. And this is the kind of stuff that the left doesn't want you to know. And let's be clear. This is obviously part of a broader agenda as just as we said with, you know, Ollie London's case and the trans movement, the, the Democrats don't care about these individual marginalized groups. They say they do, but obviously they don't. Just like we said, you can't really love someone without telling them the truth. Um, they, they want these identity groups because it drives votes and it drives the ideology that they need to advance. And one of those is the total and utter destruction of the family unit. And there's no better way to do that than to over-sexualize kids, to lie to them about the consequences of free sex and, and liberty in that area, to destroy the core family unit, and, and mainly here through education, to rip children away from their mom and dad, to get them to view the government as their father, right? It's very Nazi-esque. Yeah, we talked about it last week with the brown we shirts did. and the yeah. Nazi youth. So check out episode two for more on that. So so here we go. Okay. So the National Education Association, a.k.a. the Teachers Union, is suing Nicole Solis. The lawsuit alleged that requested information is not public or shouldn't be public information and should never have been requested. Uh, this makes no f- sense at all on its face. If there was information that was, quote, unquote, not public, then the school simply did not need to provide it. Okay, so the the whole lawsuit doesn't make any sense. It's called redaction. It's 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 not that hard to grasp. A lawsuit is not necessary to justify what you already are protected by law to not disclose. So the lawsuit is frivolous, and it's a clear attempt by leftists to intimidate parents who assert their right to know what their children are being inundated with. That's my take on it from my preliminary reading of this document, but. Let, let I'll let you think for yourself as we go through these, okay? So in this document, I'm going to bring it up because I want to go through a few of the lines here, all right? We, we're going to look at the complaint, and mainly we're going to look at the statement of facts. So that's how this document's laid out. It starts with the verified complaint, the jurisdiction, as in where is the complaint um, being filed, the parties involved, and in this case, this is the National Education Association, a.k.a. the the uh, 
the teachers union. In the document, it's referred to as NERI. That's just the, the RI just stands for it's that chapter of Rhode Island. So it's the National Education Association of Rhode Island and uh, who they are. And then after the parties section, you have the statement of facts. And that's where, you know, you get to lay out your facts before the judge. All right. So I want to point out line 16. So I recommend if you're if you're able to Google the National Education Association of Rhode Island versus Nicole Solis. The complaint and exhibits are public, and you can bring this up and follow along if you'd like. Line 16 in the Statement of Facts, to me, this is the real reason they filed a lawsuit, because they didn't want to provide the requested information, and that is not protected by law. No, they thought that she was going to – they told her to to file it, and they thought that she was going to do, like, what most parents do and – Pretty much, you know, take her ball and go home. Well, so so here's the here's the line, and and before I read it, remember she she went to the school and tried to work this out without a lawsuit, and she had total right to do that. You know, what are you teaching my kids? And this is line sixteen. This is what it alleges. Line sixteen says, and I quote: At one point, the school committee considered whether it should file a lawsuit to obtain relief from the excessive number of requests by Solis. Okay, okay. So let's remember. This is the same school committee that held a board meeting that lasted five hours, totally defaming this mother for asking questions about her child and then told her to pound sand and go file a request act if you want this info. So she did. And now in the lawsuit, it says we, we, we wanted to file a lawsuit to obtain relief from these requests. Okay. That's the least childish of what we're going to look at. Someone asking for the information itself is not protected by law. So the statement of facts portion discusses the main complaints against the parent, mainly Nicole Solis. But there are others listed in line 13. If you scroll up there, it says this. And I quote that the defendant, Nicole Solis, sent an email to the principal of South Kingston School with a list of questions and or requests for record designed to gather information about. And it says, and this is important, among other things, whether the school teaches critical race theory or otherwise includes it and other related concepts in its curriculum. Okay, so just for clarification, if you're listening, critical race theory is pure and utter garbage. It's all lies. It was made up by two white people, and it's it's absolute Gramscian Marxism being propagated and deceiving people. We can talk about that some other time. But the bottom line that I think is interesting is the left always runs – to race, right? They always make it a skin color thing, even though this has nothing to do with that. Critical race theory was part of, I would, I guess in the end, after we read it all, it's, it's hundreds of requests. Line 15 mentions Nicole herself asked for 200, but there were other people. So out of hundreds of things they wanted to know about, including uh, over sexualization and all this stuff, some of the requests had to do with whether or not they were teaching CRT. A very valid question because CRT is super racist, and evil and it pits some students against other students based on the skin on their on the color of their skin so it's totally reasonable for a parent to say are you teaching this but that was by no means the only thing she asked for but of course in legalese here they choose to to put only that in the court document as if you know to say anyone who challenges the left's ideology you're a racist automatically it's absolutely ridiculous 
Okay, so they highlight CRT instead of the hundreds of other listed requests, mainly gender indoctrination. And later in line 18, the same people state that Solis requested, quote, a variety of records, end quote. Okay, so they know this, and they're choosing very inflammatory language. Now, when you do that in a court document, you're trying to prove a point, right? You choose, when you're writing these, to highlight certain segments that you want the judge to read. And that's what they did here. They want to scream racism right off the bat, even though it has nothing to do with that. And uh, let's go to line 14. Line 14, they don't expect you to take action. All right, and this is powerful right here. The principal recommended Solis file a request. Let me read that again. The principal recommended Solis, the defendant, file a request for public records pursuant to the APRA concerning the information she was seeking. So what does that tell me? They don't expect you to take action. This, this should be a lesson for, for parents everywhere. They, they made a, 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 a threat, basically, you know, go, go file the paperwork yourself. And, they, and she did, and now they've launched this frivolous lawsuit. Crazy, and we should take note that uh, parents everywhere should inundate le- uh, these leftists with paperwork. We should inundate them with requests because you have every right. You shouldn't take a request. They, you have every right as a parent to know what the government is doing with your children when you drop them off at school. That's like basic common sense. Uh, and besides, they could have just provided the information regarding what they were teaching, but they refused. So she filed the information request. Seems reasonable. Line 17, the NEA, the teachers' union, highlights the fact that Nicole Solis is presumably conservative. See, that stood out to me as strange. I've written a lot of legal paperwork, and never, not once, have I ever referenced someone's political agenda or or affiliation and how they voted. Never. I've never done that. And yet right here in 17, I'm going to read it right out of the right out of the court document. And I quote, line 17 says, following the discussion of a possible challenge to Solis's APRA request, Solis appeared on Fox News, dun, 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 and on various websites, garnering national attention to her dispute with the school committee concerning her request and concerns regarding, here they go again, race banning, the critical race theory. What is the, okay, even, I don't care if you weren't a cop or you're not a lawyer, why would you put that in the court document? What is that pointing out? She went on the news? That, can you imagine if I'm like prosecuting a murderer in court and I mention in the, in the article, like, and by the way, this guy watches CNN, it's like, what relevance would that have? You know, you could see the judge going, I'm sorry, is it, or the lawyer, a good one, would be like, irrelevant, you know? Yeah. A- absolutely ridiculous that they put that in there. But obviously they wanted to highlight here as much as possible that this person was only doing this because they were conservative. So as, as you'll note throughout these lines, they make it ideological, right? They take it there constantly. Line 23, the complaint highlights that there were Request for information regarding the AFL-CIO. The AFL-CIO. All right? Now, if you've never heard of that, that's an acronym that stands for the American Federation of Labor and Congress Industrial Organizations. It is, according to line 23 in the document, a, quote, federation of unions that includes the NEA, a.k.a. the one which is suing the parent. 
Now, you're probably asking, well, why does that matter? What is this organization about, the AFL-CIO? I'm glad you asked. The AFL-CIO is not just some sleepy labor union that's protecting workers against alleged and often unseen woes. They are an extreme left-wing activist organization, and we know this because they're widely available public information regarding their activity. Uh, Let's take a look real quick at opensecrets.org on their data concerning the AFL-CIO, this this labor union uh, activist group. This is their uh, this is this is OpenSecrets.org's information on their independent expenditures. This is their um, spending. Uh, just just look at look at the money flow here. Okay, under categories, they have four categories: uh, independent expenditures under four Democrats. That's a category. Under four Democrats, the AFL-CIO spent three million five hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars, eighty-five percent straight to the Democrats. Under another section titled Against Republicans, they spent $626,191. And then there's only two remaining categories. Against Democrats, right, you'd think fair and equal, $0 spent. That's, if you're wondering, 0%. And for Republicans is $0 and 0%. Okay, so without question here, you have an alleged... Uh, union labor, quote-unquote, organization, which is highly political. And those millions of dollars, by the way, they're just for the 2022 cycle. So that's that's donor disclosure, you know, uh, information. Just in one year. So what you have is this mega left-wing money group, right, in the shadows behind the local teachers' union who is behind the school board, who is attacking a mom at the school for asking questions. Um, They support an extreme agenda, this AFL-CIO, which publicly includes restructuring the way American society works. And one of those ways is changing the way Americans perceive parental rights, children, and sexuality. Hence, they are frivolously suing this single uh, uh, parent who decides to stand up for her child with the power of millions of dollars and the democratic political machine at their back. In fact, in line 24 and 25, they specifically name a man, and they go on to name others as well, uh, Patrick Crowley, who is a NEA employee. He's a teacher's union employee. I guess he got uh, he's in the uh, information request he's mentioned. And also... He, Patrick Crowley, is also an AFL-CIO official. So why this matters, I'm going to get to in a second. So you have a teacher's union guy who says, well, I can't give you information because I'm in a teacher's union, and he's also an official with the AFL-CIO. Hence, they're panicking about this lawsuit because, obviously, they don't want Americans meddling in what they're doing to our children at public schools. They go on to list several particular data points which they claim are protected information, and that's why I mentioned this Crowley guy. And and that may be so. But again, this lawsuit is completely unnecessary because those bits of information are already protected by law. And there's no need to provide them when requested to do so. This is very common. We, we see this in law enforcement all the time. When members of the public request information, sometimes you have to redact you know, certain um, elements to protect people. 
And um, you know what you don't do? You don't just sue them over it. You, you literally, you, you take a black Sharpie and you, you black out the line. Or I guess you can do it in, in Adobe now in a PDF. But you don't go and sue everybody for asking you to give information that you have no legal obligation to give in the first place. So in, in the following lines, they, they go into the fact that parents requested emails from several members of, uh, you know, that were part of the union and um, the NEA as if to highlight how egregious this is. I'm sorry. If this were a FOIA request against a police department, for example, the union would be all about it. It's just so hypocritical. They seem to be whining to the court, basically, that the parents want to know what what the unions are talking about in regards to their children's education, and they want the court to make the parents stop bothering them. All right, so there's a lot more to read if you want to read it yourself. I'm going to skip down to line 46, and uh, they apparently already released 6,500 pages of information. They felt was, you know, that was tolerable to release, but... Follow that release with a lawsuit then. And again, completely and utterly unnecessary and really indicative of an oppressive operation, which operates much like the communist regimes around the world. These groups support and admire, really, so it's no surprise. In line 55, they go on to quote a Rhode Island uh, court decision, and I'll keep it brief, namely the Direct Action of Rights and Equality versus Gannon, 1998, in which it explicitly states that the Access to Public Record Act was not intended to, and I'll read the quote from the court case, empower the press and the public with carte blanche to demand all records held by public agencies. Okay, so now they're going back and they're saying, but there's previous court case, you know, that says the the press can't bother us and not know everything. And again, we, we already know that. It's called redaction. That's really not the issue here at all. I'm sure the court's going to see through this. It's hilarious because no one's asking them for all public records, just the ones related to the indoctrination of American school children. So I don't need to know the teachers' union's home address to discover what exactly are you doing with my kid when I drop him off at school. What they invoke in line 59 is that the State Labor Relations Act protects communications among bargaining unit members Okay, concerning labor relation matters or between bargaining unit members and union officials. So in, in layman's terms, to be clear, the unions are like Sith Lords in Star Wars. Okay. They're hiding behind, you know, in their dark cloaks behind the scenes, and they, they've built in protection from anyone who wants to know what they're doing. It's it's like it's like the Gestapo Act of 1936 we talked about uh, online the other day. Right where the 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 German people allowed these killer Nazi social police, the Gestapo, to target political dissidents without any judicial oversight. So, like you know, like Sith lords, the evil ones from Star Wars, you have these these mega organizations like the AFL CIO and the teachers unions who are like, you will not ask me what I'm doing with your child. You know how dare you? I mean, honestly, let's let's pause here for a commercial break. And let's just say, brought to you by common sense. Take your child out of public schools immediately. All right, now back to our show. What they invoke is absurd. Now, here's the segment I call the dumbest line in the document. If we had a sound effect, I'd go, Bam, thank you. 
All right, here we go. The dumbest line in the document. That was your cue to do it again. All right, we'll get there. Line 63, okay? The redaction of records is not always sufficient to safeguard privacy concerns. Let me read that again. It's literally what it says, and I quote, The redaction of records is not always sufficient to safeguard privacy concerns. Crickets. Okay, so here's what that means in layman terms. There, this is imagine like a petulant, whiny child, and what they're saying is, well, we know that we don't have to provide illegal information, but that's not enough for us. We want the court to stop these people, right? This is completely and utterly unnecessary to even bring up in a court case. How is redaction of it? Do you know what redaction means? That's like okay. That's like saying, I'm not going to tell you something that could hurt me. But by you asking me, you're hurting me. I think what they really mean, I could translate for them, uh, this line 55, what they really mean is um, that the parents are hurting their feelings for wanting to know. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, man. Okay, now, runner-up for the dumbest line in the document is line 67, which states that, Requested information may reveal the requested, hold on a second, may reveal the requested information. (laughs) I read that right. I had to stop myself. They are basically saying that requested information may reveal the requested information. Okay, specifically information regarding critical race theory and other, quote, issues of interest, okay, a.k.a. the sexual abuse of children, by means of pornographic literature and verbal descriptions of adult sexual activity designed to over-sexualize the individual. I filled in their quote-unquote issues of interest because that's exactly what parents are concerned about. All right. And 67, to be clear, it says, and this is their line, okay? i got to read it because it's, it's borderline runner-up to the dumbest line in the document. It is further anticipated that teachers' emails will be produced and they would contain discussions about critical race theory curriculum or other, quote, issues of interest, a.k.a. all that sexual abuse, to the requesters that will contain teachers' names and and personally identifiable information. Okay. So basically they're mad because if they have to give up the information which is not protected by law, then they would have to give the information that the people are asking for, and that's exactly the point of the request. I, I just... So the reason they don't want to give this info... Line 70 is pretty clear because conservatives will criticize them. That's what the court document says in line 70. I'm going to read it to you, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. Okay, line 70, here we go. Given the circumstance of the request, and I quote, it is likely that any teachers who are identifiable and have engaged in discussions about things like CRT will then be subject of, ready, teacher harassment, by national conservative groups opposing CRT. Oh, no. People are going to disagree with me. They're going to be... Okay, I'm sorry. Do we not live in America? So you're telling me you're using the power of the court to... to you, you can't win a debate. You can't confront someone who disagrees with you. So you're asking the court to tell them to be quiet. I, I don't want I don't want to be criticized by conservative. Oh, of course, you're going to be criticized. You're not free to not be criticized. This is a free country. That's how it works. 
this is just absolutely egregious. And and really, it's it's not funny in the in as much as that. This is silencing of your opponents. This is something that we have seen in communist countries all throughout history. We saw it all throughout the 21st century, and it's something that should never, ever be allowed in the United States of America. Um, the fact that they're putting in a court document that conservative groups would get the information they want is just insane. To be clear, what they're really saying is they do not want to be questioned or opposed. And they're suing the parent for even asking about what they are doing with her children. That is insane. So, in, in, in closing, the, the document is asking the court to permanently restrain the school department defendants from providing responses to any of the pending requests. That's what they're asking. And the request is then signed by the deputy director of the National Education Association, Rhode Island chapter, a.k.a. the teachers' union. Whew, man. Look, we were with Mike Pompeo a few months ago. I was there with him in person. We were listening to him have a discussion with, um, with a panel, and he said something very important, very applicable here to this discussion. And it was regarding national security. He said, and this is Mike Pompeo, you know, if you don't know, he was the former director of the CIA, former Secretary of State for the United States. This is what he said. The greatest threat to America was not an external nation state, but rather the teachers' unions. How true that is. What's apparent uh, from this story here in conclusion is that there are things going on at public schools that they do not want the parents knowing about. This is what I would ask. Okay, Here's your call to action. If you have a child in public school, you need to get together with some like-minded parents and start filling out requests for information. If you go to them and they won't tell you what they're doing with your kid from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., you need to file court documents and find out what they are teaching your child. So instead of dismissing this as like, ah, oh, that's just some crazy conservatives making stuff up, go find out for yourself. And I'd ask you to start with them, with those on the left, and ask them, what are you doing with my kids? We need to do this more. We need to hit every public school in every square inch of this country. And remind the teachers' unions and those on the left that they do not own our children. And by the response we just discussed here today, it is apparent that these teachers' unions are doing things with our kids that they do not want you to know. That's obvious. So we need more people to do what uh, this teacher did. We need it to happen all over the country. Now, I know that House Republicans introduced a parent's bill of rights aimed at oversight and education. And, um, Brandon, you want to touch on that real quick, and then I think we're, we're pretty much done. Yeah, so just to wrap it up, the House Republicans uh, introduced a bill, H.R. 5, also known as the uh, Parents' Bill of Rights Act. And this is going to amend, if passed, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965, uh, which requires schools to provide parents with a list of books and reading materials available in the school library, as well as posting curriculum publicly. The proposed legislation also affirms parents' rights to address school boards and receive information about violent activity in their child's school. And, of course, this uh, measure was swiftly denounced by Becky Pringle, who is the president of the National Education Association. Ooh, big surprise. Who said that uh, Speaker of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy is trying to stoke racial and social division. Oh, it's almost like you see a pattern there. 
they must all have the same talking points. That's amazing. You know, and please notice, whoever's listening to this, please notice a pattern here. Anytime you ask or confront the left with what they're doing, it's, number one, you're a racist. And number two, you're fomenting violence. Don't you dare ask me what I'm doing. Yeah, as they burn our cities down. and <laughs> oh. The hypocrisy is astounding. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is still the United States of America. And common sense can prevail. It's all about knowledge is power. Please inform yourself as to the origins of your country and all these political movements. You'd be surprised what you'll find. So thanks for joining us. Defining Truth, Episode 3 is done, and we'll be back next week. And as always, DefiningTruth.org. Please. Uh, we accept donations so we can continue to define truth. Absolutely. So check it out, uh, DefiningTruth.org. See you next time. See you guys next week.